good morning. I like that. That was a huge welcome, just like Matthew asked. I, uh, you need to know a couple things before we get started. The first one is, uh, Friends Church, this church is incredibly special to me. And Matthew Cork is one of my best friends on the planet. Uh, he's kind of like the 2 a.m. morning kind of friend, you know, when you can't sleep because of anxiety or fear or whatever it is, you can dial him up and you know they're going to answer. He's that kind of guy for me. I met Matthew, like he said, over 20 years ago. I, I showed up at this church and I was at a season in my life where I was pretty confused and disoriented and life hadn't worked out at all the way I thought it should. Anybody ever have that happen? And uh, Matthew in this church, Matthew was one of the first people that saw me. And not just saw me walk in the door, but saw me and, and saw that God had a plan and that, that he wanted to invite me into this different kind of life, a special life. And he's the one who started building into me what it looked like and what it meant like to be a part of a church and a part of a community and, and to follow Jesus and, and to serve people together. And so he built and you built this DNA and this foundation into me that though our paths kind of went different ways the last 20 years, that you have been a part of my story. And so I just want to say thank you for that and thank you to Matthew. As he mentioned, I get to be a part of the story in a unique way now as, as uh, Jay, who's the lead pastor at the Orange Campus, like he mentioned, many of you know that Jay is out receiving treatment and healing from brain cancer. And so we knew back in the spring, Jay and Matthew called me and they said, hey, we need somebody to come as it's going to take a little longer to walk this road uh, of treatment. And so I've had the pleasure of being with the Orange Campus since about June of this year. And you need to know that the DNA that you poured into me and poured into Jay uh, is flourishing in that campus and in Orange. Just yesterday, uh, we had our, our all-church serve day. Over half the church served. Hundreds of people served the city of Orange yesterday, seven locations, Chalk Hospital, the youth centers of Orange with hundreds of kids that live below the poverty line every single year. We went out and we got to come into contact with the most poor and desperate and needy of the city. And that is because of you and because of your courage to build that into not just this church, but all of the friends' churches that you plant. So I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be a part of this story in this season. Uh, I love that I get to be here on the last weekend of Momentum. We've been walking through this together with you guys at Orange, walking through this with my life group. And, and I love today because as we were looking at today, we're going to get to talk about courage. And when you look at Momentum, we talked about what does it live to live the spirit-filled, faith-filled, courageous life. And what does it mean to be courageous, not fearless, right? Fearlessness is different. Courage actually gives you the strength to move through fear. So it doesn't eliminate it, it's there, and yet you actually still get to push through it. What does it look like to be courageous? And we're all attracted to courage, and we all want courage. I remember as a parent especially, we want to build it into the fabric of our kids as we're raising them. And there was this moment, I remember my youngest daughter, Cozy, uh, she was probably about six at the time, and we were on a vacation. And there was this place where, you guys have been these places where there's these coves and there's these rock formations that kind of grow and all these teenagers decide, hey, I know what we should do, climb the rocks and jump in. And so teenagers and adults, and Cozy's about six, and she says, I want to do that. And it's like, okay, so Holiday, my wife, uh, they climb, climb around these rocks and they get up there and all of a sudden Cozy walks back out and I'm down in the water and she looks so tiny up on this big cliff. And she walks out right here at the edge with this big grin on her face and then it disappears. 
and it turns into this face of just terror. And she realizes, what have I gotten myself into? This is much higher than I possibly imagined, and I'm not jumping. And so she begins to have this dialogue with my wife, why the line of kids gets so much longer, and now they're freezing up there, standing, and everybody's starting to get a little restless, but they don't want to yell at the six-year-old. And so me being the father I am, I'm thinking, I'm going to save the day. So I climb up the rocks and around there, and I'm like, go ahead, honey, jump in. I'll, I'll take care of this. And so I, stand, I step up there next to my, my little six-year-old daughter, and I grab her by the hand, and I say, honey, there's only one way down. And it's this way. So here's the thing. And I said, you need to understand. I know you don't understand this. But to actually try and climb back down the rocks is far more dangerous than to jump. It's slippery. It's wet. You have to navigate people. And I know that feels safe. And I know it feels comfortable. But it's actually way more dangerous to do that. So there's only one way down, and it's this way. So I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm going to count to three, and on three, one of a few things is going to happen. You're going to jump, I'm going to jump with you, or I will push you off the top of this cliff. <laughs> right, this is not a parenting class, guys. This is a weekend service at Friends Church. We'll talk about that another time. So I'm standing there uh, with her, and you know, one, two, no, 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 you know, she's terrified, and three, and on three, she jumps, and I go with her. And she's screaming, no, nah! you know, hits the water, just the scream disappears. And I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. She's going to pop out of the water and give me a big hug and smile. And she comes up out of the water and is, I hate you. I hate this trip. I hate this family. I'm never doing that again. Don't you can't make me get away from me and just swims off to my wife. Like it was just it's fantastic. It was just a proud moment, right, as a dad. And, uh, but here's, here's what I've seen and what I've noticed. It was actually a couple years, many years later, that she came to me and she said, Dad, I get it. And I'm like, get what? What do you mean? And she said, I get why, why you've made me jump. And she's like, I've had the courage now to be able to lean into things that so many of my friends don't. You see, she's the first one to say yes. Whether it's some sort of physical thing like that, she's always like, yeah, this is great. What are we jumping into? What are we doing? What are we going to try? I can't wait. She's just a yes at life. And not only that, that yes has given her a courageous spirit, a willing spirit that allows her, her prayers when she goes back into new school years is, I want to meet the new kids. I want to meet the kids that people don't know yet. And you see her teachers, and people have started to notice this now. So even this year at her junior high, she was invited to be part of a special group of kids that went to this university to, to take part in this no-hate Orange County thing. And they were able to be part of these seminars and ask questions and hear from great speakers. And then they had to go speak in front of their whole school in less than 60 seconds about why we shouldn't hate one another. And I asked her, I'm kind of terrified for her on the way home for that. How was it? I'm hearing about it. I'm like, what would you say? And she's like, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm like, well, do you know what you're going to say? Like, the, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'd probably say something. I, I'd talk about their identities. I would talk about how they weren't made to hate. They were made to love. And they were made to be beautiful and, and to move. And I'm like, where did you? You're amazing. Like, who are you right now? And, and there's this courageous, willing spirit, this even moral courage, spiritual courage, that's been unpacked in her life. 
And we're attracted to this as people. The, the, we long to be courageous. The world longs for courage. There's people we look at through history, the Martin Luther Kings or the Mother Teresas, that mark our culture and our lives because of their courage. The courage to be gentle. The courage to be forgiving. The courage to be gracious and yet stand powerfully on conviction and even faith and live it out in a way that's relevant to the narrative and culture. You see, we long for courage, and that's what we're invited to in this series. Courage is attractive, and it's compelling, and so today, I'm thrilled that you guys are here for the conclusion of this series. This series where we look at what it looks like to actually become individuals and a community of courageous faith, where we move out into a world with a loving, gentle, gracious, and powerful posture of kindness and forgiveness and love and service. And so I'm thrilled that you're here today. If this is your church, if this is where you come every week or you've been around church a long time, I believe that today is going to be a beautiful, powerful reminder of the joy of a courageous faith in following Jesus. If this is your first time, I'm thrilled for you. You're going to get a great picture of who we are called to be as the church and what you're invited into. And all of us are going to be invited to let go of comfort and to take hold of courage. So I invite you guys to grab your Bibles. Matthew told me, you guys, bring your Bibles. I love that because you get to make notes and write in them and do all kinds of fun stuff. So grab your Bibles. If you have your electronic Bible, that's wonderful as well. If not, that's okay. We'll put everything on the screen like we usually do. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 4 as we've been making our way through the beginning of Acts. If you were here last week, uh, Chris was talking about Acts chapter 3, which, by the way, You guys do realize it's like an embarrassment of riches at this church with the teachers and the communicators you have of God's Word, right? With Matthew, with Chris, like, it's unique and it's amazing. So, uh, but last week, if you were here, Chris was talking about Acts chapter 3, and he was saying we need to see people and serve people so that we might share Jesus. That was the story that he was unpacking, right? Peter healing a lame man by the temple and then inviting him into community. And then, of course, all these people are gathering around to witness this miracle. And people, Peter takes this opportunity then to start communicating about who performed this. This is the power. This is Jesus. This is what he wants to do in people's lives. He wants to transform them physically and emotionally and relationally and in community and spiritually for eternity. And so Peter's proclaiming the good news now. And that's where we pick up the story. In Acts chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So now these religious and political leaders of the day, they're greatly disturbed. Which if you've read your Bible much, you know that the religious and political leaders of the day tend to always be greatly disturbed. There's there's always something that's happening with them, and they feel threatened. Because they're always about protecting their interests. They're about protecting and holding true to what is. Their authority, their influence. They have a very comfortable life, and they like it that way. And specifically, the Sadducees were a group of these people that did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe there was life after death. And so this for them is blasphemy. There's these messianic overtones that are starting to take place. 
And they were thinking, wait a second, we just crucified Jesus, and we thought we had this group member down to about 120 people, and all of a sudden it's growing again? And so they're feeling threatened by this within months. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, what does this remind you of? Let me refresh the story real quickly. Someone's arrested at night, held overnight in jail, questioned in the morning by the most powerful and influential religious and political leaders of the day. I love it. See, you're in church. The safest, easiest, best answer is always Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Who does this remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. See, this is easy. We're going to do this together. So Jesus, this reminds you of Jesus. This is eerily similar to what had happened just months before with Jesus. And the same players, I love how specific and detailed Luke is as he writes Acts. He puts down the same names. Remember the night before at Caiaphas' house? And remember, he's the son-in-law of Annas. Like the whole thing, he's just going, hey, remember, this is just what happened to Jesus just a few months before. What we also have to remember is Peter was there. Do you remember what happened with Peter just a few months before? Remember, Jesus is arrested. He's taken to Caiaphas' house. Peter does what? Follows at a distance. They're taking him into the court. Things start to go bad. He's being questioned. It looks like this is going to get ugly. And remember, Jesus had already told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, I would never do that. And all of a sudden, he starts being questioned and asked, hey, wait a second. You look like one of his disciples. You look like one of his followers. You look like you've been with this guy. And he's like, no, I don't even know him. I'm just watching Right? Three times. Wait a second. Aren't you that guy? No, I'm not that guy. And finally, yes, I remember you. And so I don't know him. So what does Peter do? He runs. This is getting a little too dangerous. Looks like we had a good run, Jesus. All of a sudden, it's a little more challenging. It's a little more difficult. It's a little dangerous. It's a little uncomfortable. And so what does he do? He's standing on the edge of this cliff with Jesus, and he says, I'm out. And he walks back. And he runs all the way back to Galilee. Runs back to what he knows. Runs back to what's comfortable. He becomes a fisherman again. Mending nets. Doing the same thing every day. It's safe. It's secure. It's simple. It's comfortable. You see, Peter was there just a few months before. And that's how he responded. So how is he going to respond this time? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Peter, in that moment, all of a sudden stands there and stares at them and says, you want to know? You want to know how this guy was healed? You don't want to know in whose power and whose authority? You want to know who commissioned us to be a part of this story? I'll tell you, it's Jesus. 
You remember Jesus just a few months ago. You questioned him too. You crucified him. But remember, he's actually alive. You saw him. You've heard the stories. And I'm here to tell you that his power is still at work in this world through us and through these people. And you can be a part of this story. That's basically what he invites them into. And you can, this is for you. Healing, salvation, life, hope, joy, everything you're looking for only in Jesus and in his name and authority. And then I love this, Acts 4.13. Let's just read this out loud together. When they saw the courage of Peter, no, a little more enthusiasm, guys. This is a big verse right here. Like, this is our story. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they, these men had been with Jesus. When they saw the, I'm sorry, the what? When they saw the courage, courage, that's right. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They're astonished. Somehow, somehow he had found a way in just a few months to go from comfort. Peter chose to let go of comfort and take hold of courage in just a few months. How did that happen? What changed? Don't you wonder? I mean, we're part of this story. Think about this. Peter was one of the first disciples called by Jesus. Remember, he was out there mending nets, fishing. Hey, why don't you follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. That sounds intriguing. Puts down his nets. Walks with Jesus for three and a half years. He gets to personally see and experience and hear the teachings of Jesus. He gets to watch him heal people. They get to have campfires and cookouts at night as they're walking around the Galilee region. He gets to see and experience the best of Jesus as he touches the untouchable, as he eats dinner with sinners and the unlikely people of the world. Peter got a front row seat to all of that for three and a half years, but then in just a few months, something changes. I'll tell you what it is. The first thing, Peter learned that playing it safe is always more dangerous. He learned that playing it safe is always more dangerous. He learned that walking back down and climbing down the path you've already walked is more dangerous. And how did he learn this? What happened? We'll imagine After denial of Christ, what does he do? He walks back down, he climbs back, he returns to comfort. And imagine you're Peter. Imagine every day you're mending those nets, you're going through the same routine, you're probably listening to your friends talk about what was or what could have been, who you used to be, what was possible, now what you're settling for. Peter probably had to listen to the lies and the fear and live in this prison of guilt and shame as Satan over and over would just replay the scenes of denying Christ, his worst moments. You see, playing it safe is always more dangerous. Choosing comfort over courage is always more dangerous. Because we find ourselves trapped in these prisons of lies and fear. We find ourselves isolating and and choosing comfort and, and things that might bring comfort to us, throwing ourselves into work, throwing ourselves into coping mechanisms or or addictions just to try and numb the pain and drown out the voices. But playing it safe is always more dangerous. Choosing comfort is 
always more dangerous. And so what happened? When Jesus rose from the dead, you remember the story. He's appearing to people and the disciples that were in and around Jerusalem where Peter wasn't. And he's telling them, hey, get everyone together. I want to see him. I want to talk to him. And most importantly, go tell Peter. And Jesus walks all the way back out. He goes to Galilee and he finds Peter sitting on that beach. And you can imagine all of a sudden in your worst moment, the last moment he encountered his friend was the moment he denied him and walked away and chose comfort. And all of a sudden you see the risen, resurrected Jesus coming your way. How would you feel when Jesus finds you in your worst moment? And Jesus walks back up. Hey, Peter. It's probably pretty silent. Peter, do you love me? Oh, of course I love you, Peter. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And what's he saying? Peter, do you love me? Peter, let's go. Peter, I didn't call you to fish. I called you to be a fisher of men. Peter, let's go. Let's jump off the edge of the cliff. Stop walking back. Are you ready? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? One, two, three, let's jump. Let's jump into this ocean of grace and forgiveness and kindness and love that, Peter, you've heard me talk about and you've seen me do these miracles in everyone else's life and now I'm doing it in yours. You see, Peter, you've learned that to play it comfortable, to play it safe is always more dangerous than to be courageous. And Peter personally experienced because Jesus pursued him and he loved him and he saw him and he invited him into this story that he was always called to. And that's what Jesus does. You see, that's what Jesus is doing for you this morning. (laughs) He's inviting you in. He's saying, let's go. Are you ready? You want to jump? Remember those dreams you had? Remember those fears? You ready to let those go? Maybe you sit here today and feel like, ah, I'm in my worst moment. Jesus is saying, listen, let go. Are you ready to jump into an ocean of grace? and forgiveness, and kindness, and love, because playing it safe is always more dangerous. Second thing Peter experienced was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Everything we've been talking about as we've been going through this series. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. In that moment, Peter probably understood what Jesus was talking to them about, about the Last Supper, saying, it's better for me to go away. It's better for me to be gone, because all of a sudden, all of the power, all of the wisdom, all of the comfort, all of the peace, everything you're longing for will be in you instead of outside of you. You don't walk alongside of it. It's with you all the time. And don't worry about what to say. He will tell you what to say every moment you need it. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, delivers this powerful response when just a few months before he ran away because he understood that playing it safe was more dangerous 
He let go of comfort and he took hold of courage and filled with the Spirit, he jumped. He jumped. You see, it's not so much what Peter did, it's what Jesus did. It's that Jesus pursued him. He loved him. He went after him. He grabbed him. He invited him. He promised him and he delivered on all of that. And after all that, what could Peter do? He's like, of course, I'm all in. You see, the challenge is a life of comfort is a life that, that says Jesus and. I need Jesus and I need some other things. A life of comfort says I'm going to live with Jesus and my bank accounts. I'm going to live with Jesus and my relationships. I'm going to live with Jesus and my wisdom. Like I'm going to work hard at managing my life, Jesus, because I'm going to be responsible, do all that. And then what I can't manage, that's what I need you to cover. See, that's comfort, that Jesus and lifestyle. But a life of courage says, Jesus, it's you and you only. It's you first, and it's you only. A life of courage says it's all yours. A life of courage says I'm all in for kindness. I'm all in for forgiveness. I'm holding nothing back. I'm going to release resentment. I'm going to release bitterness. I'm going to release judgment. I'm going to release my money because it's not my money. It's really yours. I'm going to release my time. I'm going to release my agenda. I'm going to show up wherever you want and however you want. You see, that's the freedom of a Jesus-only kind of life. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about when I, I grew up in the church, and we used to sing uh, a lot of hymns, a lot of old songs. I was thinking about that little chorus, I Surrender All. Any of you guys know that song? Yeah. You guys remember that song? All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender some. Surrender all. Oh, a little bit. I'll surrender a little bit. See, we sing these songs with these powerful words like all, but then actually living that out. A lot of times we settle for comfort, for Jesus and, instead of courage, and Jesus only. See, Peter lived this life of courage, empowered by the Spirit. And he got a front row seat to it and experienced it personally through Jesus, who also lived a life of courage, empowered by the Spirit. I mean, if you think about it, go back and maybe for extra credit, go read Philippians 2 one more time, where it talks about the courage of Jesus, choosing to let go of comfort. So one of the things we long for in life, if you describe heaven to people, you're like, imagine a place, no tears, no pain, no hurt, no lies, no fear, no judgment, no doubt, no sin, no, no, no sickness. No, you're like, yes, that sounds amazing. You know what Jesus did? He let go of all of it. He let go of the position. He let go of the power. He let go of the influence. He limited himself and wrapped himself in humanity. That's courage. And the Bible tells us over and over he was empowered by the Spirit. The same Spirit 
that raised him from the dead, the same spirit that he gives all of us, right? He doesn't give us like a junior varsity version. You don't get a little portion. You get that same spirit. Same spirit empowered him to do all these miracles and perform all these teachings and to, to the courage to stand in the garden, bleeding in prayer, begging God to stand on the edge of this cliff and say, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Is there any other way? I, are you sure? I can't. And he, God, no. We're going to jump. And the courage to move forward to the cross, the courage to walk into everything he did for us. A life of courage empowered by the Spirit. That's the life of Jesus. That's what we see. That's the life we're invited into. It's a life of momentum. It's a faith-filled life that goes on this grand adventure with Jesus. And here's the thing. It's a choice. Courage is a choice. It's a choice we make every single day, many times a day. It's not a moment. There is a moment where you put your life in the hands of Jesus, and then after that, there are thousands of choices that you make to be courageous or comfortable. Am I going to live Jesus only, or am I going to live Jesus and? You see, that's the courage that he's inviting us into. That's what we see in Peter. That's where we have these moments where we stand on these cliffs and go, let's go. Are you ready to jump into kindness? Well, a little bit because that person really hurt me. Are you ready to jump into forgiveness? I don't think so. I'd rather hold on to resentment. Are you ready to jump into generosity? Ah, maybe a little bit. Jesus and. Are you ready to jump? Are you ready to buy some candy? For the fun fest, huh? Bring that in. There's a little jump we can make. Be really radical. Go buy some wristbands for your neighbors. Go hand them out to people. You might get to meet your neighbors, some of you, for the first time. Invite them in. Say, hey, here you go. I bought you this. I know I saw you have kids. I think you guys would love this. You see, those are courageous choices, not comfortable ones, that God invites us into every moment, every day. To live this Jesus-only kind of life. But a lot of times we want to be and. We want to hold to our preferences. We want to be safe. We want to be comfortable. But playing it safe is always more dangerous. Locking ourselves in prisons of fear or isolation or resentment or selfishness or greed. You see... Playing it safe and comfortable is always more dangerous than living a life of courage. Last year, I got to experience this with Jesus in an, another grand way. It's part of our adventure. Last year was one of the most disorienting, confusing, painful seasons my family and I have been through. We felt like for years and years and years, we knew exactly what God was doing. Anybody ever feel like, I know, I know what God's doing here. This is what he's doing. Like, and you're like, I'm in for that, God. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, that's not what God's doing. And it's like, what happened? And all of a sudden, it turns into, God, did I hear you wrong? Did I get you wrong? God, am I wrong? Maybe I'm not the right one. Maybe it's about me. Maybe it's about you. And God's saying, no, and I'm wrestling through this year of confusion and pain and sadness. And really what I'm doing is I'm starting to walk back in my life. 
and I'm looking for something that's comfortable, and I'm looking for something that's safe, and I'm looking for something where I could just go back and mend nets and fish. And over the course of this year, God keeps showing up, and, and he says, hey, do you love me? And I'm like, you know I love you. He's like, the, feed my sheep. Do you know I love you? Yeah, what are you doing here? Come. We got, we got to go. There's things we've got to do. There's places we have to go. Stop playing it safe and comfortable. Take courage. You ready to jump? And here's what was beautiful. It wasn't just Jesus. It's like my friend Matthew comes alongside at just the right moment, grabs my other hand. Hey, you ready? You ready to jump? And Jay stood right behind him kind of pushing. You ready? You ready? <laughs> you see, and that's the beautiful thing. You get to live a life of courage where it's Jesus only, and it's just, God, what are you saying to me? And he doesn't, he doesn't even allow you to do it alone. He puts people around you to affirm what he's saying and what he's speaking and the work that he's doing and what he's calling you into. And that's what he wants for every single one of you. He doesn't want you to jump alone. You jump with him. You jump with one another. That's how we take courage. This church is full of amazing stories of courage. They're sitting around you. Get to know them. Just one that's been startling for me is I remember years and years ago when I was here, uh, a friend of mine, they were a little older than me, they were married, they, they had a young kid. And as they got older, as you would imagine, the pressures of life, things get challenging. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a place where they're going to choose comfort over courage in their marriage. And so they end up getting a divorce. And they lock themselves in these prisons of resentment and bitterness and fear and isolation. And they let that grow. But over time, you know what Jesus did is he kept coming alongside them and going, hey, hey, do you love me? And their answer was yes. And he, well, then are you ready? And he gradually le led them back together where all of a sudden he's standing with them and they get to jump back into this marriage of being reconciled, being remarried, Years later. And people that knew them and watched the story, they couldn't believe it. It's like a miracle from the Bible that's happening right before their eyes. Like, wait a second. This is a, this is a country where almost 50% of people get divorced. This is a county where it's almost 70%. And we're witnessing a miracle as people are re-choosing one another. In the name of Jesus? Are you kidding me? And so they got remarried and they said, let's just do a little thing here on the campus up in the chapel. And they thought maybe a couple hundred people. And over 400 people showed up. Standing room only because they wanted to see the miracle. People want to see the miracle in your life. They want to see courage. They want to see you move into things that are scary and difficult and challenging that the world is desperate for, like kindness and compassion and serving and forgiveness. They're desperate for it. What would it look like for you? To let go of comfort and to take courage. I want to pray for you as we close today. I'm going to invite you to just hold your hands out like this. And the first thing I want you to do 
is just clench your fists. And then just close your eyes. And I invite you to do that because I don't want you to be distracted. I, I just want you to listen to God. And I want you to consider where in your life are you clinging to comfort? Where are you playing it safe? Where are you holding on to resentment or bitterness or anger or jealousy? Where are you holding on to your bank account or your things? Or Where are you clinging to comfort? And then just with your eyes closed, I want to invite you just to open your hands. Where would you need to let go of comfort so that you could receive everything Jesus has for you and take hold of courage? Father, today I pray that you would continue to speak your powerful words of love and grace and kindness and compassion over every single person. I pray that today through the power of your spirit that you would instill courage, that you would ignite generosity and forgiveness and kindness and grace and compassion and love and serving. And that through us, this city, this county, this world would be startled by you. That they would see us as ordinary people that have been with Jesus.